Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello everyone and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. My expertise as the medical field is focused on coding, billing, reimbursement, auditing, and basically the entire revenue cycle management. But the business side of medicine is also about legal issues in healthcare, regulatory restrictions and flexibilities, especially during the pandemic, practice management, and of course, financial and accounting end of the medical and or dental practices. So with that in mind today, the topic will be focused on provider relief funding and all the money that's been pushed out over the past year during this COVID-19 pandemic to help assist physicians and hospitals stay afloat during this time. My guest today to talk about this with me and all the provider relief information is Christopher Hunt. He's a healthcare CPA and fellow member of the NSCHBC. Chris is a healthcare business consultant with Riemann Healthcare Management Advisors Group. Chris provides business management, consulting, tax planning, and tax preparation services to physicians and dentists and their practices. He is also a member of the firm's healthcare leadership group, working with industry specialists from around the firm to share best practices and develop proactive ideas. Prior to joining Riemann, Chris served as an assistant auditor general for the state of Michigan. We're so happy to have this subject matter expert today with us. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Terry, thank you very much. Happy to be here. And uh, I couldn't have said any of that better myself. So thank you. <laughs> Isn't it funny when we get the rundown about ourselves, we're like, okay, just keep going. Let's, let's yeah. move on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I get that when I present too. And it's just like, oh my goodness. So our conversation today, I know some people will think, oh, provider relief funding, you know, but for us, it's almost like we're, we're kind of nerdy with it because there's just so much to know and understand and now it's about reporting it correctly now that we're into tax season. And I think we're really kind of finding the endemic, if you will. And uh, I don't see that there's going to be any more funding, but I could be wrong. You'd probably be able to speak better to that. But let me start with this. Can you basically give the difference as far as some of the, the funding, the HHS, and some of the different things that the physicians were allowed to get that they were the guise of loans, but actually they should be forgiven, correct? Yeah, so I, I think if we go back to the very beginning, um, HHS was something that actually came out um, really early, like in April of 2020, right after uh, the pandemic started. Um, and that was that was money that was basically just dropped into the account of many of our clients um, if they build Medicare, initially what HHS was for was those clients that build Medicare. So a lot of our physician clients received it. Um, and then HHS kind of, I, I don't know, they realized they still had more money left um, in the trough. And so then they opened it up later um, to others that um, don't bill Medicare. Maybe they bill Medicaid, um, maybe they're dental offices, maybe they are um, pharmacies. So they opened it up um, in phase three and phase four for others to apply. Phase one and two was really strange because it just basically got dropped in their account. Clients emailed us one morning and they were like, hey, I just got $100,000 from HHS plopped into my account. I got um, and nobody, thing. yeah, nobody knew really what it was. Honestly, we didn't even really know what it was. And HHS, you know, in the, after that, they started to put out some more information about what it was and terms and conditions. And 
and everything like that. So HHS was one of the first things. Um, and then um, PPP loans, that was another big one. Right. Um, PPP loans obviously uh, were to cover payroll related costs. Um, and those were loans that ended up being forgiven as long as you were able to use the funds the way that you were supposed to use it to cover payroll related expenses. So, um, and the best thing about that HHS funding was taxable income. Uh, PPP loans, when they were forgiven, were not taxable income. Actually, that's um, an interesting point because I didn't know that on the taxable income. So let me ask you a question. On yeah. the HHS funds, when they were dropped in, this was not a choice by a provider, right? It was basically if they build Medicare, they were getting the money whether they asked for it or not? It was a choice in the fact that you could either attest to it saying that you wanted to keep the money or you could actually give it back. Oh, um, okay. But the initial drop in of money um it, it was based on i think 2018 uh medicare billings okay um and so you were supposed to get i think two percent of those medicare billings and so that was phase one and then phase two was if maybe you didn't receive the full two percent that you should have gotten then they gave you an additional amount to get you up to that two percent of your revenue um, and then phase three and phase four were the same thing, supposed to be 2% of your revenue, um, but were opened up to more people. But yes, HHS money was, it is taxable income. Oh, wow. um, but the PPP loans, once they were forgiven, um, they converted to being uh, non-taxable um, non income. So what's interesting about this, because and then I know my brother, he's a realtor, and then he applied for this EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan, for yep. the SBA, and I think he got like $10,000, and he said that was also forgiven. Yep, but let's, uh, let's be careful, because I, I think they're two different things. So what you're referring to is an EIDL grant. Okay. Um, and that was up to $10,000, depending on how many employees you had. Um, and initially, when that came out, that was confusing too because uh, they were going to reduce the amount of the the uh, EIDL grant that you received from your PPP loan forgiveness. So everybody was going to have some portion that they would actually have to pay back. They decided to change those rules and allow you to be have your PPP loan fully forgiven, plus um, get the full ten thousand dollar grant up to ten thousand dollar grant. EIDL loan is something else, um, and it, it was an actual loan through the SBA, similar to SBA loans in the past, it, it just had a streamlined process. Okay. Um, we actually steered everyone away from any EIDL loans unless they absolutely needed additional money. Um, and the reason being, the biggest reason for me is I, I work with a lot of S corporations and a lot of S corporation owners take distributions from their business. Well, if you sign up, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> yep. And if you signed up for this EIDL loan, you actually had to get SBA approval in order to take distributions from your business. There were, there were, it was very strict rules with this EIDL loan. Okay. So I, I steered people away from that. So EIDL grant to me is the, the $10,000 that was non-taxable EIDL loan is a, is an actual loan that would need to be paid back. Okay. Well, I appreciate the yeah. clarification because that definitely, well, and I was surprised because, you know, um, and not to kind of throw my brother out there, but basically I, when I said, I go, yeah, but you're a 1099 person, you're not a corporation or anything. He goes, they opened it up for something a little different. And I yeah. was just like, so question here, and this is where I think there's a lot of confusion is just talking about those three entities. 
as far as HHS provider relief, PPP, and you know, for those that I steered away, people also from the EIDL. But what about the crossover? Because wasn't the HHS supposed to be for um, COVID expenses or COVID losses, and then the PPP was for payroll during this? So I guess in my mind, I was trying to figure out how and well, since we're talking healthcare, how physicians and dentists were able to separate the two because it seemed like there was a lot of overlap. There is a lot of overlap in the eligible expenses for these things. So with HHS funding, let's start with that first. Um, there was a, a listing of expenses that were allowed. So HHS funding is not forgiven. You just have to report how you used the money, okay. whether it was to cover increased expenses specifically related to COVID or whether it was to cover lost revenues. One of the expense categories that is in, allowed in HHS is payroll. However, you used payroll for your PPP loans. Exactly. You, so this is so, where I'm like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> so you cannot, you cannot double dip. Um, right. And one of the things, we'll, another thing we'll talk about in a second is employee retention credit. That was also payroll related and you can't double dip. You can't triple dip with that. So um, there was a, you do need to make sure that you are not using payroll related expenses for both HHS funding PPP loans and ERC. It can't be for the same time period. With HHS though, what I found for a lot of my clients, um, most of my clients are in Michigan and Michigan had the longest, one of the longest shutdown periods in the country. And so second quarter for most of my clients was a significant revenue decline. And so when HHS first came out, we weren't 100% certain how they were gonna deal with this decline in revenue. The way I thought it was going to be is you kind of looked at an annual basis and you said, okay, in 2020 compared to 2019, my total revenue declined by X. Um, and if you, a lot of our clients did better in third quarter and fourth quarter 2020, because they were catching up for the decline of the number of patients that they saw in the second quarter. So if when you looked at it on an annual basis, some of my clients may have actually done a little bit better or at least broken even so they wouldn't have this significant revenue decline that they needed for HHS funding. But then they changed the rules right before um, period one reporting and they were only gonna look at the quarters in which you had losses and they were not going to net the quarters in which you had gains in income. So all of my clients were pretty much eligible just based on lost revenues. So what I've been doing for my HHS reporting is I haven't been reporting anything for expenses. And the reason I've been doing that is because it, it was pretty clear um, that the expenses had to be incremental expenses specifically related to COVID. Right. So for example, one of the, the items that you could use as an expense is rent. Well, um, not all of your rent can be used for HHS funding. It would be if like, let's say you had to lease additional space next to you to comply with social distancing guidelines. Okay. That would be an additional sp expense specifically related to COVID, but your, your rent for that whole time period doesn't count as a COVID related expense. Um, the same thing with, with payroll. If you had to hire additional people, then that additional expense could be a COVID specific expense, but not all of your payroll. So I just said, if you can meet the amount that you received in HHS money, if you can support it with lost revenues, let's not even worry about expenses because it was harder and harder to actually identify what your true COVID specific expenses were. 
And that's what I was wondering. So are they comparing their lost revenues from a previous year when they're, you know, pre-COVID? Is that how they're looking at the losses? They're actually looking at on a quarter by quarter basis. Um, 2019 is the baseline year. So you would compare first quarter 2020 to first quarter 2019. If you had a loss, it counts as lost revenue. If you had a, a gain, it counts as zero. Then you'd look at quarter two, 2020 compared back to 2019. And that would like what I was saying is the quarter in which most people had their biggest losses. And you would do the same thing for every quarter in 2020 comparing to 2019 and every quarter in 2021 comparing to 2019. And when you go through that process, I think most of us um, in healthcare will realize that uh, a lot of our clients had a decrease in revenue. Right. That can, that can cover the HHS money. So there was another uh, source of, I hate to call it income, because for me, I discouraged this. I almost was a dog with a bone with it. I was just like, please do not do this to my clients. And that was the advance and accelerated payments from Medicare. And now I'm seeing on a lot of the different, like Becker's Health and things, where the hospital associations are like, oh, can you forgive these or can you delay these? That was specifically a loan against future payments. And I said, believe me, this is not going to be forgiven because they can't, Medicare can't afford to forgive it. Right. It's based on future payments. And I don't know. Did you also discourage that with your clients? I did. I discouraged oh, it. Um, I, I only had a couple. So most of my, my client base is mostly in dentistry. I, I would say I'm probably about 95% dentistry. I've got a few vet offices, which none of this really applies to, okay. um, except for the potentially the PPP stuff. Um, and then I, I have a few medical practices. So I did have one that received the money. I talked to them about it. I asked them, you know, just give it back because it to back. me, to me, it was like, uh, if they're going to, if they're going to reduce future Medicare payments, it's going to be from a, from a billing perspective and a reconciliation perspective, it's going to be a nightmare because who is it coming from and how do you reconcile that with the patients? And uh, maybe I'm not smart enough to figure that out. They kept it and they've been tracking it and they've, it's been reducing uh, their future Medicare payments, but I did um, discourage it with clients as well. Yeah, I did too, because now they're, because they started re, uh, getting it back now because it's now yep. the time frame. and my hospital and physician clients are like, how can I stop this? And I said, let's go back to a conversation about, you know, 18 months ago where I said, do not do this. You've right. got HHS funding, you've got PPP, you've got so many other options um, that you can apply for. This is not one that you want to do. And they're like, okay, but we just assume that when I'm like, you know what, you need to move on because you're, you and I are not going to have a good conversation on this one. Right. So definitely interesting. So now let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I noticed that with, so you talked about the, the first and second um, I hate to call it kind of a, a dump in, but basically the first and second uh, offering, I guess they put in to the different providers uh, accounts. And when it came to the third and fourth, you had to apply for those specifically, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Yep. So I did hear that there were some physicians and I even had some clients inquire about it, that some of the providers were basically applying for it for a rainy day. And so they were applying for getting it and then putting it aside in case they needed it. Can you speak to that? I don't think that's um, compliant. Um, it's they they will not if, if that's what they did with it, they'll have to give the money back. Um, technically, I, I for third for the third draw, um, the one that you had to apply for the limitations. There were not many limitations in in who could apply for it. Basically. You either you build Medicare, you build Medicaid, you were a dental practitioner, you're still in business. Um, there's a couple other things, but I, I don't remember there being a 
significant decline in revenue. Um, I think you may have had to attest that you did have a decline in revenue, but here's the thing at the end of the game, when you report, if you don't have enough lost revenues to cover the money that you received or expenses, then you have to give the money back. So, um, legally speaking, I'm, I'm not an attorney. I, from a legal perspective, I don't know if there was anything illegal with that, but I did have a ton of conversations with people about whether or not they actually needed the money. Um, Me too. and need, need is very hard, especially at the time, because you had no idea if there was going to be another shutdown. Michigan has been, uh, kind of crazy throughout this whole process with the masking and the shutdowns and the threat of shutdowns. And so it was really hard because I think you had to apply for that, um, like in June. And I think they may have received the third round, like in July and August. Right. And so at that point in time, we were still coming, uh, coming back from the pandemic. I mean, everyone's still kind of recovering from it, but nobody really knew what was going to happen if there was going to be any future shutdowns. Yeah, we so have the I same had... thing here in California, except California, I don't know if you know, we're we're a little different animal out here where even if some even if the governor tells us to do something, we don't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> even though they it's out there saying you have to do it, they it's almost like we also have two different states because what they do in Los Angeles versus the mid uh mid central uh, California and then what they do in northern California like San Francisco area is completely different. Everybody kind of says, okay, yeah, whatever, we're going to do our own thing. So it, it's not, even though we do have mandates and we do have things that happen, if you drove here, you'd be, you would think that the whole state's open. Yeah. So it's a lot different. Yeah. So um, back to those, the requirements for third, I actually just pulled it up because I couldn't remember all of them off the top of my head, but either build Medicaid or Medicare, be a licensed dental service provider, be, um, must have built Medicare fee for service during a certain time period, Medicare part A provider, um, behavioral health and you, and you must have received a targeted distribution payment, okay. uh, or that was, that was one of the things, e any of those things could make it so that you're eligible for this third thing. And then you must've filed a tax return. You must've provided patient care. Uh, so I don't remember there really being a, uh, you had to say, okay, I had a 20 25% decline in revenue. Like you had to do with PPP two. Um, so, um, I think that they, whether they took the money, I don't think it was necessarily illegal, but if they don't have expenses and revenue to support it, they will have to give it back. And HHS has made it very clear. We're in the second round of reporting. So those people that received that first and second round of money have already had to, had to report. And if they haven't reported, they will be getting a letter from HHS asking for that money back. They've made it pretty clear. There, on and that. there's no wiggle room there. Basically, if you didn't report in the first round, you're given that money back. That is that is what they are saying. Yes. Um, okay. They're saying you're out of compliance with the terms and conditions and you must give them the money back. And it's yep. interesting because one other thing, came, one other thing came up and I don't know if you've run into this, probably you have with dentistry, especially. I know I've run into it with um, the medical side is that there was a new code created and I know you're not a coder, but it was a, basically a submission code for an insurance company, um, 99072, that was for PPE. So that pr protective equipment, but then Medicare came out and a lot of the payers said, we're not paying for it because that was included in your HHS funding that we gave mm. you. So let's talk about a conflict in, you know, what they're trying to tell people. So that was a big argument for people. Yeah. But the other thing I was going to ask you is that, you know, I've, I've had a lot of 
providers and physicians and hospitals and, and even a, a couple of dentists that have said, okay, is this under the CARES Act? Is this under COVID relief bill? Is this under the Economic Aid Act? Are these all intertwined as far as the reporting requirements and where this funding comes from, Chris? You know, I, I to be honest with you, there was like four of them and I don't remember exactly what act it's under um the way that the way that i remember it is the ffcra came out first and that had a lot of the stuff with ppp and eidl and even some employer retention credit stuff and then the other acts that came out after that either added to or changed some of the stuff in the original okay. so i i don't remember exactly which act everything came out of to be honest with <laughs> yeah. you there's been so many of them and i have i feel like i've used all my brain power on just some of the uh <laughs> The, the stuff that I know my clients need to um, be aware of, we, we did a lot in communication. Um, I think our clients probably got a little bit annoyed with how much we communicated by, by email. But one of the things that we've done recently for all the other providers out there is we've been holding a lot of webinars um, where I just, I get, send out a webinar invite instead of trying to have you know, 150 different conversations, you kind of have it once and then maybe people will call you with questions after the fact. But that's been really huge for me and another advisor in our office. We've been doing the same thing because yeah. of telehealth and, and just having to deal with, you know, the pivot to virtual care and making sure everybody's doing it correctly. And it's amazing how many people are not. Um, but you're, you know, everybody's making assumptions. Well, I can do this because somebody told me that somebody told yeah. me that somebody said, and I'm like, you might want to get your, uh, your, you know, your COVID relief bill out, the CARES Act out, because yeah. I have to follow those things. And, and, you know, so a lot of, there's a lot of uh, details, legalities in there and under flexibilities. So Terry, can I, can I bring up one more, sure. um, thing, uh, one more, um, avenue for, funds that many people I've noticed have actually not taken advantage of yet. Um, and so if you haven't taken advantage of it, this, this would be the time. Um, it's the employee retention credit. Um, and what this was, it was to, if you, if you kept your employees on staff during the pandemic um, and you continued to pay them and you had a certain amount in decline in revenues, you were able to um, take a credit on your, against your 941 taxes. Um, for something called the employer retention credit. And so there was an employer retention credit in 2020. And then there was also an employee retention credit for the first two quarters of 2021. So um, 2020's employer retention credit, you had to either be shut down um, by state government or government order. And then any wages that you paid during that shutdown period would be eligible for this employer retention credit up to a certain amount per employee. And then after that, if you had a decline in revenue of greater than 50%, you would be eligible for that quarter in which you had that decline in revenue, plus the future quarters until your revenue got back to 80%. Oh, wow. So it, it ended up being for a lot of our clients, um, second quarter and third quarter of 2020. And then they changed the rules um, and they made it actually a little bit easier to get the employer retention credit and they increased the amount of the credit in 2020, the first two quarters of 2021, where you only had to have a 20% decline in revenue. But a lot of people in 2021 had made it back to at least normal revenue. So I had a lot of clients with 2020 employer retention credit, 
and then a lot fewer, maybe only six or seven that were able to get it for 2021. But it was some significant dollar amounts. I mean, you're talking single practitioner dental offices, 20 to $30,000 of employer attention credit money. Oh my goodness. That is yep. huge. And so, so we, we did have a lot of clients that referred um, new business to us, even if it was just for the employer retention credit, because oh, we knew what we were doing and um, we were able to take advantage of it for a lot of our clients. So interesting question though. You, you've mentioned a couple of things where the, the rules keep changing. So how do you, as you know, a healthcare CPA, how do you deal with that? I, I can't even imagine, you know, I know that there's some, I mean, hopefully not very many, but there are some, you know, practices that are small where they think I can't afford, you know, a CPA or I can't afford somebody to accountant. And I'm listening to everything that you're saying. And then the changes halfway through or the changes before you report, how, how do you keep up with all that? The change was crazy. Um, if you, if, like I told you before we started the podcast, if you don't like change, it's a bad time to be a CPA when you're talking about potential tax <laughs> reform, all of this stuff that happened over the last two and a half years. Um, I, I, to be honest, Raymond is a pretty large firm and we have a very uh, good group, not only um, on the healthcare side of things, but also the, our tax and advisory group. They did a phenomenal job of keeping everyone updated, but I just, the NSCHBC, um, we have a, um, uh, what's the, what's the word for it? Uh, the email listings. Oh, our listserv. Our listserv. And that was phenomenal. It um, was, yes. Providers throughout the entire country. Um, every, it seemed like every time something changed, someone would put an email out there and it was the most fantastic thing in the entire world. Um, so that was one of the ways, but you just got to kind of, you got to read articles. You got to stay up to date on things and, um, and hope that what you're looking at is the most recent information. I, I always find myself, especially, you know, with the HHS, they updated things so frequently that I always look at the bottom of the PDF and it, the date that it was last updated to make sure that I have the most recent one. I have to do so, the same thing with yeah. my information. Yeah. We, we've had with the CARES Act and all the changes on the flexibilities, things they've added to the telehealth list and, you know, things that they're not going to do for HIPAA and all that. Um, when it first came out, it was 36 pages and now it is 260 pages and has been updated uh, 27 times. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like, oh my gosh. But you know, you brought up a really good point. You know, we, I, we talk about the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Chris is, is uh, one of the uh, certified consultants um, with, within our society. And it is just, it's phenomenal just for me as well, because again, I, I'm in coding, billing, reimbursement, revenue cycle management, auditing, you know, you're in um, accounting and CPA and et cetera, and, and consulting. And we also have healthcare attorneys on this list in, in, you know, in this organization and uh, other CPAs all over the country. And so it's been a, just a godsend to have just subject matter experts and all of this and everybody, you know, really collaboratively putting out a lot of the information. So for our listeners, if you, if you want an organization that can help you, this is it. So absolutely it's been, been definitely great. So as we wrap this up, just a, what is a, a quick tip for planning for 2022 taxes? I know, you know, I have my tax appointment tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny with my accountant. And so what would you tell clients right now as far as getting their ducks in a row, making sure for their 2021, you know, tax year, what, what do they need to do to make sure that they're covered? 
I would just, the biggest thing always for me is to get your information around timely. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that changed um, in 2021. Um, accountants have a, and CPAs have a pretty tough task. We're actually still dealing with forms changing with the IRS in the state of Michigan. I mean, I don't know if it's every software and I won't say what software we use, but a lot of our forms are not available yet. So getting things in timely, communicating with your advisor, your CPA, about any changes, um, filling out your tax organizers so that you are able to identify things that might be new or changed in your return. Um, we didn't get tax reform at the end of last year, like I thought we were going to. Um, and I think that it's even less likely to happen now with um, elections coming up at the end of this year. So um, I think just staying on top of things, constant communication with your advisor, um, I think that's the biggest thing. That's excellent advice. And also one of the things that we try to do after the podcast is put up a brief um, article on some of the things that we've discussed and it will have some links and sites to the hrsa.gov site on the uh, fact sheet on how to make sure you're meeting those reporting uh, periods and the deadlines and all of that. So we'll make sure we have that up on the NSCHBC website this week for everyone. So Chris, it, I wanted... is, it is important to note really quickly that um, 331 is the ending of reporting period two. So it's coming very, very fast. Oh, wow. um, and I've told all my clients that the earlier you can help uh, get me the information or help, have us help you get the information for reporting, the better because it is tax season as well. So um, there's a number of things that need to be done uh, before April 15th and HHS reporting should be near the top of the list because if you don't report, you will have to return some of that money. So yeah. sorry, that, sorry to what, interrupt. <laughs> no, no, that's that's great information because I think that people get they, um, they let the time get away from them. <laughs> yes, and, and you can't do that. There are deadlines. There are times, and and we'll try to make sure that you have those deadlines uh, up on our website so that you don't forget. But the first the first one that opened wasn't that opened in December, and then it closed. When did that uh, open? I know they gave a grace period the first recording. Yeah, we are in reporting period two that started January 1st, 2022 and goes until March 31st, okay. 2022. Okay. Yep. Um, okay, reporting great. period one was last year and they did extend it 60 days. Um, it was only supposed to be open for three months. They extended it 60 days because I think they realized the number of people that hadn't reported. Yeah, do not panicked. I was yeah. like, I was seeing all the posts about that. I was like, okay, do, are you not paying attention? I know I was seeing that as well. But do not rely on another 60-day no. <laughs> extension. Well, so. and I hear that they're understaffed, too, at the IRS or, or dealing with this and, and her son and wherever, you know, whoever's policing this, I guess I should say. So yeah, definitely something to, to keep updated. Well, this has been just such great information and such great insight for our listeners and, uh, and client base. And we really appreciate you coming here today, Chris, and, and talking to us. And I hope to have you back uh, in the not too distant future, but I know your um, your business is gonna be ramping up now uh, based on what's happening out there. So yeah. if anybody wants to uh, get a hold of Chris, make sure that you go to the NSCHBC website, go to find a consultant, and then it'll give you a drop down screen to type in his first name or his last name or both. And uh, you can find Chris Hunt uh, on our website. You can find any of our um, consultants on our website. So everyone, thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. A reminder that we have our telehealth summit 
which is our educational offering, February 24th and 5th. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already attended, but we also will have that available uh, in our members only section of the nschbc.org. So again, thank you for listening today. Everyone make it a great day and a great week, and we appreciate you. Have a great day, everyone. And again, thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.